1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 through 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. I resent that, but behold, you are old. I can't imagine elders coming to me and saying, Listen, you're old. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen, for not doing that yet. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Father, I pray that as we try to understand uh, the dynamics of what's going on in this uh, circumstance, in 1 Samuel that completely changed the, the, the history of Israel from this point forward. And I pray, Father, as we, as we try to understand this and try to, try to apply it to today and apply it to what we are facing today in our own country, I pray that you'd open our eyes and our hearts and that you'd turn our attention in the right direction, Lord. And that's my desire, my hope this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I, uh, it seems like in the last several weeks I've been a lot more political than I want to be. In, in uh, 42, three years, I can't remember, lost count of pastoring and preaching. Uh, I can't remember a time in my entire ministry when I've been talking about uh, the current situations that are going on not only not only with uh, the politics and COVID and, and those sorts of things but just our response and our reaction to those things and what is the biblical way to look at it and so I'm, I'm hoping to be done with this not because an election is coming up but I'm, I'm tired of it myself but I felt like that this message is something that God put on my heart several weeks ago and I didn't want to just bury it because I'm, I'm tired of, of of talking about this kind of thing, but uh, because I think it's pertinent for any, for for every day, for every day we live our lives, it, it has to do with one of my favorite subjects that you know that I like to talk about, and that's the kingdom of God. So, but I know all of you are probably ready for this selection to be over. I mean, in some ways, regardless of who wins, you're ready to move on, and and I know you want your guy to win, and I want. Not my guy, but I want a guy to win. But you're ready for things to kind of go back to normal. If And, and I'm, I'm, I may be kidding myself, but I'm not so sure that things are going to go back to normal after the election is over and all of that. But this election cycle has reminded me that there's something far, far, far more important. We sang about it this morning. Far more important than our American government. Now, you know, hear me out. I'm not going to diss the American government, so to speak, but I want to talk to you about our connection to it and our attitude towards that. There's a legitimate temptation and even a danger for Christians to be distracted by any human government, as, as we see on the screen here this morning. And so let me explain. In, in the Bible, let me tell you what's going on in this passage here. Before Israel became a kingdom, which is happening on this, in this passage, but before Israel became a kingdom with a king, they were led by men of God's choosing, and it, and it was initially patriarchal. In other words, Abraham, Father Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, 
Jacob becomes Israel. He is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so initially, God led the children of Israel by patriarchy. And after that, Moses was then raised up to lead God's people. But he was a man who was answerable to God. And after Moses came Joshua, and Joshua, following the direction of God, led the people into Canaan and conquered the land of Canaan. After Joshua came, if you know your Bibles, after Joshua came the judges. And eventually, we're introduced to the first great prophet, the prophetic order, the man named Samuel. He was the first great prophet of the Lord, and he led the children of Israel by uh, his communication from God to them, and they were led by a man who was God's choosing and one that would lead him there. But, but Samuel's growing old. He's getting old. He's been, ju- he's been uh, uh, ministering and leading God's people for quite some time. His two sons were known to be corrupt. If you read uh, two or three verses prior to verses 4 and 5 here, you'll see what they were doing, involved in bribery and all kinds of things. So Israel looked around. They began to look around at all the other nations, and they realized that all the other nations were governed by kings. And so they said, we want to be like them. We want to be like them. They seem to have it all together. They're cool. And so they wanted to be, they wanted to be governed by kings. And, uh, and, and they have kings and we just have this lame old prophet who hears from God, you know. And so they didn't want that. They wanted, they wanted a government. They wanted a human government. Well, this upset Samuel, if you can imagine. Samuel went to God with it, whining to God about it. And this is what God told him in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. That gives me chills reading that in, in the wrong way, because I feel like that sometimes that can be true of Christians, that we can, it it, it at least allows for the possibility that human government can become a substitute for God's government. See, from the beginning of time, it has been God's desire to be Lord and King of all humanity. And of course, through the history of time and through and through uh, various means, he would normally use people to govern. That's, that's a given. He used David to govern his people, for instance. But his desire was always that the eyes of the people would go beyond the government and would be ultimately on him and not on the government. And though he used people, ultimately they were, they were a means to reflect God, hopefully a means to reflect God. And so I believe too often human government either does one of two things. It either obscures the true king or even replaces the true king. And the people get to the place uh, that, they, that, that uh, they begin to look more to the government than to God. And God warned about this and even complained about it in the book of Isaiah. In the days of Isaiah, there was a world-renowned nation of great power called Egypt that were that was ruled by the pharaohs and they were the leading world power at the time it is often said that the united states holds that position in our world i, I don't know i mean 
Other countries may not see it that way, but, but uh, we're, we're considered a world power, if not the world power. And so in a similar way, Egypt was considered the, the great world power of its time. But God warned the children of Israel about this and even complained about the people looking to that world power, to that human government instead of him. I'm going to share three verses with you here, Stephen. Uh, the first one is from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 2. God says, Ah, oh, stubborn children who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. And then, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And then one final one. Behold, you are trusting in Egypt that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as the Pharaoh king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. This is God's complaints, complaint through his prophet Isaiah about his people relying on human government to meet their needs without looking to him. I've preached another, a number of sermons, as I said a few moments ago. I've, I've preached a number of sermons through the years on the supreme importance of the kingdom of God in our lives. I just, uh, just a, I don't know, two or three months ago, finished a six-part series on the kingdom called Thy Kingdom Come. And, and throughout those messages, I frequently reminded us that we live in a kingdom ruled by God. That the message of the disciples in the book of Acts was not you can be born again and forgiven for your sins, but it was, it, it was that there is a new king. There, there is a king who has a kingdom, and they encourage people to come into that kingdom. And so it was about the kingdom of God. It was, it was Jesus' favorite subject. And so you've heard me talk about this uh, frequently throughout the last number of years. And, and what I have encouraged you to understand is that we live in a kingdom that is supreme above all other kingdoms. And we should never forget that. We should get up, I believe, every morning and wait as soon as we open our eyes, say, I live in a kingdom ruled by God. I live in a kingdom ruled by God. But unfortunately, we're confronted every day with a kingdom that competes for our attention, that seems to want to, at times, usurp God's authority in our lives, that wants us to look to it to be our Savior and not to God, and that sometimes even questions our belief system and our loyalty to a different kingdom and its laws. It's what, again, what they confronted in the book of Acts when one of the complaints when, uh, when some were coming into a city, they said these people are coming in saying that there is another, there's, there's another king and he's not Caesar. And, and so that was their message. And so uh, here's, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to be honest and answer these as Christians. Not, these are not trick questions. You know, sometimes I, I have been known to ask trick questions, and these are not trick questions at all. But let me ask you some questions. I'm going to put them up on the screen. Who determines what is good or evil? Who determines, okay, somebody said God, that's a good answer, and that's, that is the answer. Who lays down the laws we are to live by? God, okay, two out of two. Who promises to provide for all our basic needs? God. Who protects us from our enemies? God. 
And who can judge, judge us, uh, who can judge when, we're, when we've done wrong? The Bible says, I, God says, I am the judge of all the earth. Now, of course, most Christians, and I heard you say God to all of those questions, but doesn't our human government also claim all of these provisions? Let's, let's, let's take determining good or evil. Doesn't our government frequently redefine, give new definitions to word and redefines what is good and what is evil? Things that when I grew, was growing up, things that were considered evil are now called good. And things that were called good are now called evil. Isn't the government at times trying to determine what is good or evil? Do they not create laws that we must live by? Don't they claim to provide for our basic needs? I mean, there's a term for this, the welfare state. Don't they spend billions of dollars on defense to protect us from our enemies? Are we not judged and punished by our government when we do wrong? And so in every one of these things that, that we should look to God for, our government tries to substitute themselves in that place. In other words, the government has replaced our need for God and His kingdom. This sermon came to me a few months ago when I was meditating on the line in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And I was meditating on that, and it occurred to me that this is what our government promises, to provide for our daily needs. So I began to think about that, and I thought, gosh, in many ways, the Lord's Prayer could be prayed to our government. Our Father who art in D.C., you know, I mean, think about it for a moment. Our Father, the, what do fathers provide? In a similar way to the questions I asked earlier, and these are not going to be on the screen, but what does a father do? Let's, let's check the boxes, tick the boxes. A father is an authority figure. A father provides for the needs of his children. A father provides for instruction and education. Proverbs frequently talks about following the instructions of the Father. A father sets the rules to live by. A father provides safety and security. Now, of course, all fatherhood, the Bible says, I think it's in Ephesians, says all fatherhood is based on uh, the example of God as being our Father. That's why the Lord's Prayer is addressed to our Father in heaven and covers many of the things that I just mentioned. For instance, authority. Authority, thy will be done. A father has authority. Thy will be done. A father uh, provides our daily bread. A father protects, deliver us from evil. So it's no wonder that when Jesus taught us to pray this prayer, he wanted us to address God as Father, not as King, not as Lord, but our Father, because a Father provides these basic needs. The problem is, too many have slowly substituted a reliance on our Father in heaven to our Father in D.C. Let me give you an example of this. The Bible says that God knows our need before we ask. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, do not be like them who are the them he had just talked about, unbelievers who worry and fret about what they shall eat, what they shall drink, what they shall wear. He said, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need 
before you ask him. Fathers know what we need before we ask. The assumption is he knows our need even before we, we know it. And, and how many politicians, how many times have you heard politicians say this? We know what the American people need. And we're, not going to, and we're going to give it to them whether they like it or not. We're going to cram it down their throats. How many times have you heard that? Man, I've heard it too many times. We know what the American people need. Uh, so there's that, there's that thing of them trying to substitute for God or play God when they do that. and tells us to look to them for our sustenance and not to fret or worry over it like unbelievers do. The Bible says that God is going to provide for His children, but it seems like little by little we have created a government by man that has replaced our need for God. We could almost read the Lord's Prayer in this way, and I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what the thoughts that came to me a few months ago when I was meditating on this. Our Father who art in D.C., hallowed be your name. And a lot of people do hallow uh, the United States of America. Now, I don't want to get into touchy issues of patriotism. I'm a, I feel like I'm a patriot. I feel like Jesus was a patriot about his own country. When he came into Jerusalem, he wept over his country. He wept over his people because uh, they were not uh, doing what they should be doing, and so he wept. And so we can, we can uh, love our country. Uh, we can be patriotic and all that, but, it, but at some point, if that becomes a place of reverence in the sense of reverencing that more than we do the kingdom of God, that's when it becomes a problem, okay? And so we can, in some ways, hallow the name. Your kingdom come. In other words, we want the United States government to be established not only here but in other parts of the world. Your, your will be done. In other words, force people to comply with the will of the, gov- of the government even if it is sometimes against our belief system. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, I talked about that, the welfare state. And some people may say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with wanting to feed people and, and, and help the, the poor? There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem with it. That was God's call on his people in his church. Christians should be doing that. Christians should be feeding the poor and, and helping those that are in poverty. The church should be doing that. The problem is most Christians don't tithe or don't give generously enough, so instead we tithe to the government, calling it taxes, and let them do what the church should be doing. And I could talk about that for a long time. But the church should be doing those things. But instead, we would rather give to the government to let the government do what we should be doing. And that's sad to me. And I could go on about the rest of it, the rest of the prayer there, about the justice system and forgiveness of sins and the expectation that the government's going to deliver us from all evil, etc. But you get the point. Am I saying we should dump the United States government? Absolutely not. Don't quote me as saying that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I live in the kingdom of God, but I happen to also live under the, the United States government. And I am, I love my country. But I do know that sometimes Christians can be distracted from what is not only our responsibility and, and our duty, but where we, where we look. Paul, what did David say? I look to the hills from whence come my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But sometimes we look to the government and expect that our salvation and our needs will be met in this human government. Listen, the president is not our savior. 
The legislative branch is not our ultimate lawgiver. The judicial branch is not our ultimate judge. God is all of those things in Himself. And God warns, again, some of the earlier verses we looked at, don't turn to Egypt for your help and your salvation and your safety because it will end up hurting you. What did one of those verses say? It will pierce you. It will hurt you in the end. So all of this, what I'm talking about is an attitude of heart. David says this in Psalms chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We could modernize that. In David's day, that was the, if you're going to go to war, you wanted horses and chariots. Some trust in tanks and, 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 and uh, you know, airplanes and, and bombers and so forth. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Am I glad we have those things our nation has? Yeah, absolutely. But when we begin to trust in that, we've got more than they do, then that's a problem. Because oftentimes God's people would be outnumbered and outdefensed, but they would still win the battle because they look to God and God alone. And so when Christians begin to look at those kinds of things and say, oh, I feel safe because we spend so many billions of dollars on defense, or I feel safe because this person became president instead of that person, or, you know, that's where I have an issue with it, and we should all have an issue with it. One last thing. I thought this was going to be a long sermon, but it's not. One last thing. After Israel decided to reject God's rulership over their lives and embrace that human savior slash king, God gives them this grim warning. After he told Samuel, he said, Samuel, don't, don't cry about this. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But he said, I want you to go give them this warning. I want you to tell them what they're asking for. If that's what they really want, if they would rather look to human government rather than me, this is what's going to happen. And this is what he says in, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now, I, I shortened this a little bit because otherwise we would have been five or six slides. So you can read the rest of it yourself and fill in what the ellipses is there show. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards. He will take the tithe, the tenth, of your grain and of your vineyards. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys. He will take the tithe, again, tenth, of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. Six times, six times, this passage says he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. And he will take. He will take from you and he will enrich himself. Listen, this message is not, I'm not trying to dismiss the importance of being, having a government and being under a government. I'm trying to get you to understand that, that when that is our focus, and it seems to be everybody's focus right now, everybody seems to be tuned in by the millions upon millions to the media about the politics and what's going on and, and, and every facet of that. 
And I wonder how much time we're spending praying Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this message for me and to you is to help us understand, again, that we live in a different kingdom and that our allegiance and our pledge is to God first. He is the King of all kings and all presidents, and He is the Lord of all governments, and we submit to Him first and foremost as citizens of heaven first. And that's not to say we resist governmental authority. I'm not saying that at all. Romans chapter 13 is very clear on that. But we refuse to let it distract us from the higher authority, the supreme authority. That's why I don't fear the outcome of the future election, by the way. Neither Biden nor Trump is my savior or ultimate authority. They are not. Neither one of them are. And so I don't fear that because I look to God and I live in a different kingdom. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen and who knows who's going to be in office and what's going to happen once they are. That doesn't matter. I'm not, I don't fret about that. I don't fear about it because I live in a different kingdom. And so what I read in the newspapers doesn't trouble me because I live, first of all, in the kingdom of God and under his supreme rulership. Amen.